Welcome to the Hybrid Real Estate Professional Podcast, where we dive deep into the intersection of career, family, and finances. Learn the mindsets, tips, and strategies to help you on your personal journey to build a life of abundance and purpose for you and your family. Now, here's your host, Aaron Amin. Welcome back to another episode of the Hybrid Real Estate Professional Podcast. Today, I'm joined by Paul Dirks. After 20 years working as a research analyst deep in the heart of Wall Street, Paul had a moment of realization that led him and his wife to start investing in real estate. They took that challenge head on, investing out of state in multifamily properties that required rehab and implementing a strategy known as the Burr Method. In addition to his directly owned portfolio, Paul now works at a company called Citywide Capital, helping investors access passive income investment opportunities in multifamily, self-storage, industrial, and other asset classes. We cover a lot of ground from both his personal and professional background, including the exact process he went through before taking the plunge into real estate. There is a lot to learn here, so make sure to stick around through the end. Let's get into it. All right, welcome back to the Hybrid Real Estate Professional Podcast. Today, I am joined by a special guest, Mr. Paul Dirks. Paul is a Wall Street veteran, a CFA a real estate investor, a family man, and much, much more. But instead of me introducing him, why don't we let you introduce yourself in your own words, Paul? Aaron, it's a pleasure to be with you and to be with your listeners. Yeah. So I guess at the outset, married with three children, live in Long Island, New York. And it's in line with your podcast and really your history, and of course, what you're doing here today. I too am a hybrid real estate professional. I am a, I would just, I'd say if you were to break it down into three different buckets in terms of real estate investing, you have your, what I would describe as actively passive and your passive investors. Of course, active investing is where you may have your own properties and I not very handy. I also living in New York, don't live in a particularly easy state to invest in from a landlord perspective. I am actively passive in that I have a portfolio of properties out of state. And then also I'm a passive investor, investing as a limited partner in various syndications, whether it's in multifamily, self-storage, industrial, and other asset classes. But what's interesting about me and my history is, and we can dive into this a little bit, is I've navigated from zero real estate investing experience, basically just as a W-2 employee, to somebody who is reasonably diversified within real estate and has found niches that work for me and that work for my family's life. And I'm excited to share that with your audience because I feel like my story, while it's not all that remarkable, it's at least approachable in that my wife and I both have W-2 jobs. We both desired some of the benefits that come with real estate investing. And we just took some action. And there's some easy steps. There's some things that we can do that we did and that your listeners can do if they want to get started on their real estate investing journey. Awesome. It all starts with action. And and also thank you for using the hybrid real estate professional label. I think a lot of people are hybrid real estate professionals without realizing it. But you pretty much embody every last bit of what I meant when I started using that label, which is someone who integrates all the skills and knowledge and experience that they gain throughout other areas of their life, whether it's their family or their job, and then the income from those endeavors and then applies it to build real estate. So I think you've done exactly that. No doubt. Let's rewind a little bit. So I think I did a little homework on you and listened to some of your podcasts, which we'll plug later. But it sounds, if I recall right, 2009, you entered Wall Street in a more kind of traditional 
finance role. Can you tell us about that background and kind of what you were doing earlier in your career? Sure, absolutely. I worked as a equity research analyst and also with a group of portfolio managers on Wall Street. My dad and brother are financial advisors and my first jobs uh, in high school and in college were interning for my dad and helping him with his book of clients. So I grew up in the world of financial services and always loved being somebody who would do the work, do the diligence, learn to understand investments, and then ultimately help clients realize their goals. Of course, if I wanted to work with my dad, it meant I had to live in my hometown in suburban Maryland. And while that would have been a very good way, I wanted the city life and I wanted to dive a little bit deeper into the investments, into the, I guess you could say, analyst analysis side of the world. So I worked on Wall Street for, in total, almost 20 years. I was a research analyst. I was published on over a thousand investment reports, predominantly in industrial companies. These are companies that were tied to the residential and commercial building cycles, building products, distribution, specialty distribution, also engineering and construction companies. So I was very, even from afar, even while I was not in real estate, I was always very in tune with what was going on in real estate markets. And I always had a great appreciation for how robust those industries are, how vibrant, and a lot of the changes that were driving investment dollars and investor interest into real estate. So I worked on real, on Wall Street for close to 20 years. But what was interesting about that time for me is that my wife and I, as I mentioned a little bit earlier, we were both working uh, W-2 jobs. And while we were in the rat race and we continue to be, it dawned on me pretty soberingly in 2017 after reading Rich Dad, Poor Dad, that we had no cash flowing assets of our own. We were working hard living in New York State. There are pretty high property taxes and high taxes here in general, but we had no cash flowing assets. We were asset poor individuals. After reading Rich Dad, Poor Dad, I realized that we had to do something to diversify beyond Wall Street not just from a, an income standpoint, but really a totality of life standpoint. We needed to find a different avenue for us to not only invest in, but also try to reap some benefit from. And, and when I was reading Rich Dad, Poor Dad, it motivated me to get out there, to stop just reading and hiding behind the books, but to get out and meet people, to network, to go to conferences, and fr fr frankly, find individuals who were doing what I wanted to do. So... After a couple of years of self-education and some of that networking, eventually bought our first property, a small multifamily property, and later grew that portfolio to seven properties. We've since sold one, so now six. But it was an all-organic experience to take what I would say I've learned on Wall Street from a topical standpoint and what I learned as being an individual and a family person in a high-tax state and pursue avenues for knowledge and for our investment dollars to go into investing in real estate as a way to just bring it all together. We wanted tax benefits, we wanted some cash flows, but we also wanted to increase our income in a non-Wall Street or non-W-2 way. So that's a long convoluted way of saying Wall Street provided an incredible backdrop for me, a pretty unique backdrop. Not everybody makes the move from Wall Street into real estate investing, but I couldn't be any more grateful for the experiences I've had because I think they've really powered a lot of what we've accomplished and what I'm still accomplishing here today. That's awesome. Yeah, it's a huge mindset shift. You hear a lot of people quote, rich dad, poor dad, 
but it really does change the way you think. You don't necessarily need to read that book to have the same realization, but that there are so many investors that credit the idea of just understanding like what is a true asset financially in life and what is a liability. And then, yeah, the fact that most people, even if you're a high income earner, you can still not have any real cash flowing assets. And therefore, if you change your employment situation, you're left with you're left with a harder time trying to figure out how to pivot versus if you can build those assets as you go throughout your life. So before we go into the real estate, I'm curious. So you spent almost two decades on Wall Street. What are some of the skills and just, I don't know, whether it's work ethic, concepts, like what are the things you learned on your time at Wall Street that you feel are served you best when making that transition? That's a great question. A few things. One I would say is, as a research analyst, you are looked to as a subject matter expert. The buck stops with you. You're the only person in the firm, or maybe one of two, that knows the answers to certain questions that come from investors. So with that as your backdrop, you have to know everything. You at least have to be prepared at the very least, or you at least need to know where to get answers and to be able to do. You also need to be able to pull together insights from disparate sources. That might be from things you read. Might be from things, might be from conversations you have with somebody who's a company executive, maybe from other individuals or other investors. You pull from all these different places and create a tapestry of what you think is actually going on with an investment or an investment thesis. And the other thing I'd say that I really credit from Wall Street is having a deliverable, meaning that you have to take what you learn and distill it down in a way that's helpful for your clients to absorb and for them to take action upon. That's something that I think a lot of individuals out there miss in today's market. They, they just want to go out and see themselves on social media. They see themselves and they're just worried about their own persona. Uh, when you're on Wall Street and you're working as a research analyst, you have to come up with something that's going to drive value for your client. And that's something that I very much appreciate that need to deliver and that being a subject matter expert, those are things that have you know, served me well while I was on Wall Street and served me well today. It's Those are certainly lessons I think that apply in any number of fields. Absolutely. Yeah. There's the accountability, there's the knowledge, there's the resourcefulness and the ability to communicate that in a way that actually articulates the value to your customers, which means not just coming at them with a bunch of quant chart stuff that they can't understand, but actually articulating it in plain English to your end customer, right? That's that's another skill, especially in real estate that I'm sure serves you very well today. So let's pivot towards to 2017. You said that was the turning point where you said, hey, we, you and your wife, you're both working full time. You made this switch in your head where you wanted to start accumulating cash flowing assets. You decided that real estate was the most uh, obvious one that, that satisfies that. You already hinted at this, that they're out of state investments, but what happened then? So tell us 2017 from that moment, how'd you lay the foundation? So in full disclosure, I didn't exactly act upon first learning what I learned in, in Rich Dad, Poor Dad. I was a pretty timid individual. I was afraid of going out there on my own, something that was uncharted. I don't have any family members or any older brothers or sisters or cousins that were real estate investors. So I sat on my hands for a little bit, but I always had this itch I needed to scratch in terms of learning more. What can I do to get involved in real estate investing? And so I started attending conferences. I attended one in particular, the Mid-Atlantic Summit down in the Philadelphia area back in 2017. It was eye-opening to see so many individuals and have conversations with those people like me 
who were either my age or even younger, who maybe didn't even have the resources that I had at my disposal, but who were making it happen. And it was that bias toward action. And it was also just being in the comfort of others who understood where you were coming from. And then here's one of the best things that I realized about going to that conference and later at other conferences that that validated this. Unlike Wall Street, where it's a very dog-eat-dog world, in the world of real estate investing, it is a huge market, it is a huge pie. And what that means is people want to help and are willing to help other people. It's something that I just didn't really realize was out there. And it made it so much easier to stretch out my hand to say, hey, I'm this guy, I'm new, but I'm eager to learn. What can you teach me? What value can I provide back to you? And that just very general demeanor disposition led to a lot of things. And so in late 2017, it led to an introduction to a group of accountants that I actually still work with today. And eventually somebody who's became a mentor who showed me the ropes as to how he invests. And he, at that time, had invested in over 200 units, multifamily, out of state. And so I was, well, if he can do it and he has these systems down, he must know what he's talking about and he's not going to lead me totally astray. That thesis, very basic, proved true. And in the summer of 2019, we purchased our first investment property. We purchased the property in an area where I would consider it to be a C-plus neighborhood. But the thesis for us was to find a building where we had one tenant, and the other two units were uninhabitable. So we knew there was a lot of renovation that had to go into it. It meant we could buy the property relatively cheap, but it also meant that we had a lot of work to do to get the property turned around and stabilized. What's counterintuitive, when you're, especially when you're a first-time buyer, is that a little bit messy the property might be, however messy it might be, that actually could be a little bit less risk. And what I mean by that is it offered an opportunity for us to push the net operating income of the property through rents and moving rents up to a market level, we weren't trying to reinvent the wheel. We weren't trying to set a new market rate for rent, and we weren't trying to buy an asset that had already realized a lot of valuation expansion. We were buying something that was distressed. We were buying something that was value-add and something where there really wasn't a anything holding us back. We just needed to move the building back into a way where uh, it, we could bring in new tenants and drive that NOI higher. So we did that in 2019. After we did that, we refinanced the property. And then when we were able to refinance and take cash out, we just repeated the same cycle and continued that for a few years, building our property with the same seed capital, really following the same playbook. We always had a bias to try to find properties that were value add. We tried to do that because, again, the risk we felt was lower. And frankly, through some of the networking and going, taking trips, doing due diligence trips of my own, I felt comfortable with the contractors and the team that was built around me that I had built out and that I was introduced to, that they could execute upon the project. So it was weekly phone calls. It was weekly Zoom meetings or at least video clips that are being sent to me. It was us picking out different designs for these buildings. It was us thinking holistically about how to reorient one property and kind of going through all those steps, which while at first could be nerve wracking, was it was invigorating. And that ability to turn something around, to do it thoughtfully, to do it in a risk-adjusted manner is something that I believe is repeatable, not just for me, but for really anybody who's getting into the real estate game. So that was in 2019. Again, we built out the portfolio over the following several years. And yeah, it's, it's now become a core part of our family's life. We rely upon that passive income as one of our income streams. And it's all through tried and true playbook of of turning around a property and fixing it up and 
bringing something positive to the market. There's a few threads I, I want to pull on there. So one is you guys didn't just drop everything, leave your jobs and go become full-time real estate investors and do a bunch of construction yourselves. You guys found a way to manage that and learn that process. And it sounds like you even a bit fell in love with that process because of what you were learning and because it was an investment in your guys' self. I could see when you're talking that you actually enjoyed the process. I'm sure it wasn't completely without challenges, but you can tell there was some passion behind it. And now look what you were able to build in a relatively short amount of time. Second thread is you used a strategy that's pretty common if, if you read Bigger Pockets and some of the books out there called the Burr Method. You buy a property that needs some work or, or has opportunity to add some value. You rehab it. You rent it out at the higher rent. You refinance it to pull out the extra equity and then you repeat it. One of the most popular common strategies for taking one injection of money and then being able to parlay that into more and more properties. It's obviously much easier said than done. But one distinction that I think uh, not every you know investor knows, especially when they're starting out, is that the, the way that multifamily properties are valued is different than the way that a single family is valued. A single family uh, property in your average neighborhood in America, a three-bed, two-bath house, you might be bidding against somebody who has their family that wants to move in and build a, live there for 20 years and raise their kids. They're going to be willing to pay a very different price than an investor who is going to depend on the rental income. So an investor's price is typically going to be lower than that family who's looking for the dream home. Well, in multifamily, the price of the asset is largely based on the amount of rent and NOI, net operating income you can produce. So I think in your case, and I'd love for you to elaborate on this, you saw the types of renovations that you could do that would make those adjustments in the rent so that you could immediately have that extra equity. Did I understand that correctly? Absolutely. And I would say too, just to flush this out, like you said, it's not as if it was just smooth sailing. I'm four plus years removed from that initial purchase. But let me tell you, sending the first wire to purchase the property was, I had a pit in my stomach, right? I didn't exactly know what I was getting myself into. But there are ways that you can inform your decision. And then at some point, you just have to trust yourself. We are all capable of so much. And when we step back and really think about the things that we've accomplished in our lives, it's because ultimately we place some trust in ourselves. After enough reflection, education, networking, saving, and then again, reflection before you do it, you can take these steps. So it did come to that. And thankfully, I did take action. I, but I want to underscore the fact that it wasn't exactly all sunshine and roses. I remember the first unit came to the market about two months later than I was originally thinking. So we had higher carrying costs. We also had a few cost overruns, right? When you take the, the you go down to the studs, you realize, oh shoot, this pipe needs to be replaced or this roof really is starting to get a little bit rickety, whatever it might be. I remember on that property, one big thing that later set us back was it the driveway goes over a culvert, this small little stream that helps drain all the rainwater from the area. I didn't realize that was on my property. And so when it cracked and needed to be replaced, that was a large expenditure that I'm certainly not getting that money back. It just comes to the territory. We've all had repairs or know others who've had repairs in their homes or their properties. It just comes. It's all in the game. So as long as you know that going in, ultimately, you can trust yourself. You can reserve for those kind of incidents. But yes. And then in terms of moving the ball forward, it was always about trying to do it in a way, like you said, that was thoughtful. 
but also in a way where I wasn't reinventing the wheel. I wasn't trying to set new higher market rents. I was trying to guide the properties to a spot where a market rent was achievable. And when I was originally doing the analysis for buying a property, I was doing it in a way where I was underwriting close to market rents, or at least if I had market rents, I was having a decent sized vacancy expense in there because I wanted to make sure that I was not underwriting to a unicorn in the sky kind of valuation. I was trying to underwrite to something that was actually achievable. So if you want, it's not just about being risk measured in terms of your initial investment. It's also about being honest with yourself. What is it you're buying? Are you buying something that has the opportunity to appreciate in value? Or are you trying to justify a narrative in your head? Going through that exercise as a first time real estate investor was again, very rewarding, but it was also brought to mind a lot of different thoughts that come to mind. And I'm eager for your audience to, if they're not already into real estate investing, start taking some of those steps because it will bring you to life. You'll appreciate it. And it's a great way, in my opinion, to diversify your wealth and to, again, grow your income streams. Such good wisdom and knowledge there. And a couple of things you said at the end there that I think we're all guilty of at some point, right? Is when you see a deal that you like and you're starting to run the numbers and you're falling more and more in love with, oh, this is a great investment. But then all of a sudden it doesn't hit the box that you set out for yourself. Don't fall into the trap that most of us do, which is if I just reduce the maintenance budget by this much, then it makes sense. Or maybe I'll drop the vacancy down to 2%. Then it makes sense. You're just manipulating your budget to try and make it look the way you want to. And while that can work, then you're moving away from an informed decision towards a, a, a gamble. And obviously gambling can go one of two ways. So it's not like that you're destined to lose, but it just becomes less of um, a calculated risk and more of a regular risk. So before we pivot away from these properties, a couple of things. One, so you mentioned there were a few things that you did that help you feel confident that it was an informed decision. And because you uh, had some value add, I'm guessing that involved learning something about construction or at, at a minimum, how to estimate those costs. So I want to click on that. And then I also want to know who managed these. So let's go there. Sure. So in terms of getting my hands around the initial really project, one thing I found very helpful was to get a, not only an inspection, but also get an appraisal on the property currently as is. And then when you talk to an appraiser, you can get a bit of a sense as to what it may appraise for if it's totally fixed up. In this case, I was able to get an appraisal for the property that pointed to the fact that it could actually be worth more by about, at that time, 10% more today than what I was buying it for. So immediately I felt as if there was some margin that was positive, right? That I'm buying at a good price or a reasonable price. That was important to get that inspection and that appraisal. The inspection obviously provided eyes to everything that could be wrong with the property that I do need to did need to fix up. And then the appraisal, obviously, for what I was actually buying here today, and then when, where it could go. In terms of understanding the construction, again, I don't come from a construction background. Many real estate investors, frankly, don't. But I learned very quickly to not only try to learn about the construction process through reading, watching videos, understand, talking to some of my contractors here who helped me out with projects around my house, picking their brain but also doing the weekly videos with my contractors and with my property manager who was overseeing the construction from out of state 
I would be able to learn from them, see what they were looking at. And I would, I would save those videos and see the process in action. I would say one of my big learnings was certainly whatever budget you think you have for renovation, I had an extra reserve. We depleted that and then some. Sometimes when you go down to the studs, you don't realize what else could or should be fixed. And you start getting into this discussion in your head, really, where some of the expenditures that you think are going to be coming in years two, three, or four, you really should pull into today because the studs are down. You can redesign the space in a better way. You can make a more informed, intelligent, optimized solution for yourself as the owner and then for your tenants if you just get it done today. So that was one big learning for me to take the kind of four or five year CapEx plan, think about what those dollars might be and make sure you have the reserves today to potentially accommodate what those might be. That was a huge thing for me. And with that, because we had some of those cost overruns and some of those other projects that came in, at least in the initial period in year one, I learned about all the, all the trades, electrical, plumbing, roofing, pavements outside. We also on that particular property, we considered building an additional structure. So I was talking to surveyors and talking to architects. I later realized and learned from talking to the local municipality that because of a density measure, I wouldn't be able to build, but still going through that process and learning that kind of side of the business and that side of the industry. So it's a, again, an illuminating project and illuminating experience. The whole thing start to finish from first due diligence to actually completing the last renovation took over a year. But man, there's so much that came from it. And I, I really almost wish for every uh, new investor that they have one project that they do, especially early on, where they get a flavor for all of this, see what resonates with them, see what parts they enjoy, see some of what they read about, and what they watch on YouTube come to life, and then be able to tell about it. It's a very fun experience, very rewarding experience. And even to this day, I'm very proud of the fact that, that we brought two units that were uninhabitable and gave homes to two different tenants. One of those tenants today has a young family and it just makes me smile. That's so cool, man. And a few things to highlight there, right? You didn't go in and deplete every penny in your checking account and buy a property with no reserves to do the construction. You intentionally went out and it was part of your strategy to find a place that needed work in one occupied unit and two that needed were uninhabitable and had the opportunity to add value. That was your strategy. That wasn't an accident. You were well capitalized. It sounds like you were on stable footing in your life and you had a partner and a support network. You had mentors, you had a team. All of these things de-risk a lot of those things that make people feel anxious when they go into investing in real estate. Because you get up on the edge there and you, you want to do it. You've done some research, you pick some markets. But at the end of the day, like you said, you have to trust yourself trust your decision and you had all the tools. So what other way was there going to be to learn all of it other than actually doing it at that point? So I think that's such an important lesson for any of the listeners here. And I don't own any multifamily myself, at least directly, but I think that's, that is a definitely very viable strategy for a lot of people, especially if you're looking for, for cash flow. And then like you said, to recycle and pull out some of that money. Okay. So we covered your early career, your entry into actively owned and managed real estate. What about, so you, you built a family along the way, right? You have three children, is that right? Correct. So when did that all happen and how did that play into some of your decision-making to, to make that switch? 
so my kids were born 2015, 2018, 2022. So a little bit spread out, different points along the journey. I would say our first child was born around the time we bought our first home. Our second child was born when I was contemplating and then eventually soon thereafter getting into real estate investing. And my third child was born right before going on and making this new pivot out of Wall Street into what I'm doing today. I will say, as I've gotten older as and having kids, I realized something about myself. I mentioned earlier in our show here that my dad and my brother are financial advisors. And that was my first kind of foray into the professional world or certainly into the financial world. And again, I think being a steward of somebody else's capital is one of the most noble jobs in the world, one of the best things, because you're helping that person and that family grow their wealth. I realized as I got older and certainly had kids of my own that I still held and hold today that call to do that, to serve in that capacity. I also realized that when I was working on Wall Street, I wasn't exactly serving the people I wanted to serve. I was serving a lot of institutions, a lot of hedge funds. It's a very different world, like I alluded to. I wasn't working with those families that I wanted to work with. So wanting to do more into real estate investing and also serve individuals and families, it took me to the world of passive real estate investing. And what's great about passive real estate investing is that I use it as a complement to what I'm doing as an active real estate investor. It's a way for me to invest funds that are not immediately available today. For example, using my self-directed IRA, which was my company's 401k right? All the money I'd save for years and I can't access for another decade plus, maybe two decades here and use that to invest in passive real estate syndications. I've realized that when there's an awful lot of people out there who could be investing in passive real estate syndications, but don't know about it. It was only in 2012 with the passage of the Jobs Act where mass marketing of real estate syndications became possible. It was only in the last several years where we've had the explosion of tools and resources and technologies that facilitate quicker, easier, out-of-state real estate investing. You've also had in the last several years, I think, an increased need and interest in diversifying investments away from just being on Wall Street. And so you put all those things together and there's a huge interest and still continued demand today in passive real estate investing. I realize that it's an industry where there's a lot of people who could use somebody like me who can help them get clear on their financial goals, understand the risks and the opportunities associated with investing in real estate investments, and help them access those investments if they choose that it's suitable, but do it on their own terms. Because again, not everybody is actually able to take on the full management of a family or of a property, like a multifamily property or of their own real estate portfolio, or they're not even able or don't feel comfortable hiring the uh, property manager to run it for them. They want to be entirely passive. So I help investors, many of which are accredited, some are non-accredited, depends on the syndication, to invest passively as limited partners in real estate syndications. And so it's great to be a linchpin for those individuals who want to get involved in real estate either don't know how today, or maybe they know that they're limited by their time constraints, but they want to get into real estate because they want to access the tax benefits. They want to ask, access the cash flow, the passive income opportunity, but they also want the equity appreciation potential that can come from owning real estate. And it's not just multifamily. It could be self-storage. It could be industrial. It could be other commercial real estate assets that diversify you away from just investing in just Wall Street or just in paper assets. 
that is to me is this great big open runway and frontier. And it's just, it's really exciting to be in a spot where I can help individuals find this and find this world and see how it could fit for them and solve a pain point for them as they think about achieving their financial goals. I think you, you started parlaying into what you do today. And so why don't you tell us a little bit about your, so I believe you just recently joined a company, right? That was previously established and you're now a partner there. Can you just tell us a little about the company you work for now? I Absolutely. think you already explained the concept, but what's the exact yes. like business model and who you serve? Sure. So I'm a partner at Cityside Capital. My two partners and I, what we do is we help educate and provide access to passive real estate investments. Those investments could be syndication on a particular property. It could be a syndication into a fund. It just depends which, what's offered by the sponsors that we work with. We're, we are registered representatives. What that means is we are FINRA licensed financial professionals. I have the Series 7. I have a several other licenses. Those are the Series 7 is the same license that your financial advisor has uh, in order to offer a security. Many individuals out there who raise capital don't have their FINRA license. It's something that should be licensed because it is a security that's being offered. I am and my team, my, my partners at Cityside Capital, we are FINRA licensed financial professionals. And we provide access to private securities. Again, these are not public securities like stocks or, or many mutual funds out there. But we have the opportunity to participate in a pretty unique position. The most exciting thing, of course, is to is to offer the access to individuals, investors who want to invest passively in real estate. We also help place capital for a select group of syndicators who we have contractual arrangements with them. They're looking for capital. They're looking for investors out there who will help fund their businesses and help execute on the business plan that they've outlined. And we help match them to some of those investors out there. What we found and what I found, and I knew this was the case going in, and I still see it even more today, is that there is a huge latent demand for investing in real estate. Many people just don't know how. They don't know all of the possible ways made available to them because this is not something that's propagated by Wall Street. These are, at their core, they are illiquid securities, which means that they are not easily or quickly transacted. You may invest in a syndication and maybe four to six years or sometimes longer in terms of the, dur of the duration of the investment. That's not easily tradable. It means that Wall Street can't make money off of it very easily. It also comes with big tax benefits to you as the investor that Wall Street can't benefit from. So uh, financial advisors, many of whom are out there, do great work with the assets that they work with. They're not incentivized or geared to spending their time focusing on or recommending doing due diligence on these kind of investments. So we help educate investors on these on these different options out there. The biggest way we do it, you mentioned earlier, is our podcast. I'm a co-host of the Passive Income Brothers podcast. And what we try to do is we try to provide an opportunity not only to educate ourselves on the passive income investing journey, but we bring on industry veterans, entrepreneurs, and thought leaders to share their experiences, not only just on the current market, but just also what they've seen going back in time over the last 10, 20 years plus, because it's a wealth of information. And I spoke about the fact, and I think you can attest, Aaron, to just how giving those are in the real estate investing world are to others. We want to help provide a mechanism for that. So we want the, our listeners, our audience, and our clients to 
educate themselves on what's out there, and then to make a decision that makes sense for them. So that's what we do at Cityside Capital. It's education, it's access, and we're all about trying to help individuals achieve their financial goals, many of which traditional Wall Street investments and traditional kind of reactive advisors aren't helping individuals and families achieve. I would say you're uniquely qualified to make that statement, right? Having worked in that world for a couple of decades and you're an active investor yourself and you're, you have a family, you have job, dual income household, you understand the value of being able to invest passively and access some of these benefits. When I think of, because I over the last few years, especially, I've come across a lot of different people who raise money for different deals and syndications, et cetera. And what makes someone stand apart? Oftentimes it's the, would I trust this person with my money? Not only from a licensure and legitimacy standpoint, but also just like from a compatibility standpoint, does this person understand the goals that I have and what I'm trying to unlock by investing Mm -hmm. my money with them? So can you talk about like uh, beyond the licenses, like what is it that someone should look for when they're trying to make one of these decisions with a large chunk of their money? Sure. And that's a very deep, personal, and I would argue reflective question. It's hard to generalize in that because everybody's story is different and their needs are different. I work with individuals who might be changing careers and thinking about their income needs in their next foray in life. Maybe they're just starting to be able to access their 401k in terms of being able to make it a self-directed IRA. And they're looking to diversify into other properties, into other asset classes that they haven't been able to get into. I've worked with individuals who maybe have two spouses that are working. One of them might need to step back because of a growing family, but maybe there's an income need that needs to be stepped into over the next year or two where they're looking for a little bit more current period income. There could be other individuals who are getting later in life. They're trying to think about how they can maybe create their footprint for having more income, passive income, as they start to consider exiting the workforce and doing it in a way that's tax advantaged. So it's a many different factors that are very personal and reflected. And it's a reflection of where you are in your life and your family's life. I would say, though, on an individual investment level, it's about finding sponsors who it's easy to say you want to find somebody that's experienced. And that's certainly true. But there's many things that come to light in terms of getting to know somebody, going to visit with them, visiting their sites, understanding who's working with them, trying to find where the potential bottlenecks or sensitive points are, how vertically integrated are there? Are they? Are their operations? How much of their proposed financials are attributable to a successful exit five years down the road versus what's actually in their control here today? There's many different investment and investment specific factors that come into play. So it's really hard to generalize on those just here in in one answer. But again, having those conversations with individuals, you can start to hear and listen to what it is they're looking for and what they're looking to achieve. The most exciting thing is when I help explain to them that there are investments out there that can help produce tax advantage cash flow that can help meet their needs over the next several years and not necessarily sacrifice their principal. It depends on, of course, every investment is at risk, whether you're in the stock market or whether you're in a real estate syndication, there is a chance it goes to zero. 
there, let's be abundantly clear about that. That said, for those plans and those sponsors and those syndications that perform well, you have an opportunity to do well from an equity appreciation potential and enjoy current period income along the way. There's a lot of things that can be done intelligently with investments that can help weave into your family's life design. And it's exciting to be able to work with different investments, different investment classes out there that can help those people and help those clients achieve what it is they're actually truly after and maybe not what they're able to achieve by investing solely in Wall Street assets. I love it. I love it. You said weave into your family's, I forget exactly what you said, life design, I think it was. And also just like learning what is it that they're trying to accomplish, educating them on a number of different ways they can get there, the different levels of risk you can take along the way. And I heard you say something on your show that I thought was really prudent. It was people think that when you're making a passive investment that you have no control whatsoever. But the way you said it was, no, you actually have a lot of control up front before yes. you make the investment, right? You're really, it's up to you where you deploy your capital is your money. And so it's incumbent on the, the operators, the sponsors, people like yourself to earn that opportunity to deploy somebody else's money by educating them that, hey, this is the right investment for you based on what I know about you. But you do, the individual investor has a lot more control than they think. And then they get to benefit from the fruits of whatever that investment is without having to do the work, right? It, it can become a best of both worlds situation if done correctly, but it has all yes. those same moments of anxiety that you probably had before you bought that first apartment building. First yeah. time you make a passive investment, you think, holy crap, I just wired $100,000 <laughs> to some person I probably only met on Zoom. There's Those moments of anxiety aren't going to go away, but you can learn to trust yourself and learn what to look for so that you can sleep well at night knowing your money is doing some work for you in such a magical asset like real estate. Yes, there's a lot in your control as a passive investor up front. And the thing that I like to share is that it is a distinct honor and privilege for any sponsor to have you as a limited partner investor. So they need to earn your trust. They need to earn the spot in your financial picture. They need to be the right fit at this present time for what your goals are. And I'm here simply as somebody who can help offer access to a select number of those sponsors. And if it's a fit, great. And if not, I just want to have the conversation with any of the individuals or clients out there to hear what is on their mind, what is what it is that they're looking for. Because I found while well, on Wall Street, you are one of them. You are a cog in the machine. You are, in many cases, just another client. Whereas you're on this private side of the world, you're in the real estate syndication world, you might be one of a couple hundred limited partner investors in a particular syndication. You are somebody that the syndicator wants to have as a repeat investor. They absolutely want to earn that. But you have the leverage. It's your money. It's your capital. So invest with those that are aligned with you and the, invest with those who help you achieve what it is that you want. It's just exciting to be part of that journey for those individuals. That's so cool. There's probably 10 different topics I'd love to ask you about. So it sounds like I'm going to have to have you back on again soon. But Paul, where can people find you? How can they get in touch with you? And any other final words you have for the audience here? Sure. Again, it's been a pleasure to be with you, Aaron. So you can find me on LinkedIn, Paul Dirks, D-I-R-C-K-S. Our website is citysidecap.com. We're Cityside Capital. Phone number 844-289-1075. 
Again, that's 844-289-1075. And maybe parting thoughts here that just come to mind. And again, it's a pleasure to be able to speak about my real estate investing journey uh, as a hybrid real estate professional. My journey, again, I don't believe it's totally remarkable. I really believe that the things that I did and the steps that I take, I took and take today are entirely repeatable. I just might be one step ahead of certain individuals who haven't yet had the opportunity to take the steps that they need to take. But today, what you have in your control is a great amount of potential. So get clear, get crystal clear on your goals and start to chart your direction forward. When you do that, you have the opportunity to also implement some systems that can help keep you accountable. Make sure you keep going. It's easy to get a little lazy and lie to yourself. Stay on, stay true to your goal and just commit to being action. Commit to taking action. No one's coming to save us. And you don't have to know all the answers. I certainly don't. I never will. But there are people, and there's a lot of them in the real estate investing community who can help, and they themselves asked for help when they got started. So this is a rich and vibrant community. There's a lot of people out there that can help you, whether you want to be an active investor, a passive investor, or something in between. So just get started. You owe it to yourself. It's your future. Make it yours. Couldn't have said it better myself. And if you like hearing Paul talk about real estate, life, goal setting, abundance, or any other of these topics, I encourage you to check out his podcast too. We'll make sure to drop all those links in the show notes. And Paul, thank you again so much. Thank you, Aaron. Be well. Thank you.